Good morning, everyone, wherever you are. We are looking at 1 Samuel chapter 24 today. Our church Bibles, we are looking at page 296. So it's 1 Samuel chapter 24. <clears throat> After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in that cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience stricken, conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forgive that I forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old sayings go, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord gave me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king. 
and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. God is good all the time. Okay, some of you knew that response. So here's my question. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe God is good all the time? It's a good morning for an Irishman to talk about a depressing subject. Uh, Ireland lost against New Zealand last night. Well done, Leighton. Hey, I can take consolation. Uh, it was New Zealand that beat us. Could have been worse. Could have been the English. <laughs> That's the only joke about the English I'm going to tell, love. Don't worry about it. Okay. I am going to speak about things that could depress some of you. Okay. That's the warning. But hang on, because there is good news. There is good news. Okay. And I'm going to talk about four things. Could I have the first slide, please, Nick? Okay. If you don't already know it, you're going to have difficulties in life. Some of you will experience... Some of us will experience deep darkness in our lives. Some of you are perhaps already or are going through that particular phase of life. But it is often in those periods that the love of God and his mercy it becomes most clear. Also, it's through those times that you, me too sometimes, can become great. Not great in the eyes of the world, but great in the eyes of God. And then finally, there is a perspective. Difficulties and darkness are real. They hurt. But they're not forever. Not forever. You know, one of my favourite favorite movies, it's now over 30 years old, so some of you will never have heard of it, but especially if you're a dad or a granddad or a mum or a gra grandma, you may, The Princess Bride. Brilliant movie. If you haven't seen it, stream it, watch it. It'll make you smile. But there's a line in it that the hero Wesley says, and he says this. He says... Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling you something. You know, the Bible doesn't sell you a pain-free life. It doesn't. 
Jesus, in fact, next slide please, Nick, tells us, expect it. This is God in Christ telling us, hey, it's going to happen. If I can move you from the Judean desert where David was in our reading to dark as Devon on a road between Exeter and the seaside town of Exmouth. Some of you may have gone there on holiday. As you drive along the road on the right-hand side, you will pass a military camp. I spent some of my life there. It's called the Commando Training Center Royal Marines. I was a Royal Marine, and that's where Marines are born. Doesn't matter what rank you are, that's where Marines are born. And just opposite that camp, there's a little lane. And every Marine for at least the last 70 years, if you ask them what the name of that lane is, they'll tell you. It's called Heartbreak Lane. And if you walk down that lane, four or 500 meters, yards, there's a sign. And the sign has stayed the same for 70 years. It's been repainted, but it just says, it's only pain, Royal. And it's called Heartbreak Lane because some of the criteria tests to become a Royal Marines Commando finish at the bottom of that lane, near where that sign is. And it's the last one and a half miles. The lane is one and a half mile long. And, and every Marine knows when they get to that lane, it's a mile and a half to go. But it feels a long, long way. But they know what the end of it is. They know it's worth doing. They know there's a value in it. And they know that the pain produces something worth having. Now, if that's Marines, as Christians, you can have something much, much better stretching into eternity. But the first thing is expect pain. Prepare for it. Because, you know, difficulties are bad enough. But if you think somehow as a Christian you're immune, when they happen, it's going to make them an awful lot worse. And that's not what God in the Bible says. But there's some good news. In difficulties and darkness, you can know the love of God in Christ much more than you ever have. You know, David in that story, what it doesn't tell us is that he probably he was running from Saul. He had 3,000 problems, 3,000 men after him going to kill him. Uh, he had some supporters, but... Uh, you know, David probably spent five to 12 years, no one knows exactly, but it's somewhere between five and 12 years running away. Difficulties can last a very long time. Sometimes they're not just transient or it's a bad hair day and it'll be all right tomorrow. David knew that. Do you know what? God knows that too. David went on to write some of the greatest poetry in the world. Even people who don't believe in God accept that in the book of Psalms. His most well-known Psalm, Psalm 23. Wonderful Psalm, we'll come back to that. But he also wrote Psalm 39. God inspired him to write it. And amazingly, graciously and wonderfully, 
God allowed it to be put in our Bible. You see, the last verse of Psalm 39, next slide please, Nick, says this. Look away from me, Lord, that I may enjoy life again before I depart and I'm no more. You know what David's saying? Go away, God. Go away, God. Give me peace. That's dark. There's no verse after it that tells us, hey, praise God, I feel his presence. David was in a dark, dark place when he wrote this. Deep depression. He didn't see any light. He told God to go away. The good news is, God allows that to be in scripture. And a great Christian teacher, nine or more, called Derek Kidner, he kind of gives us the reason for this. Next one, Nick, please. And there it is. The very presence of such prayers in scripture is a witness to the understanding and that God knows how much we are desperate when we turn to him. God knows, you see. He knows that at times that we want to tell him to go away. That's if we want him at all. That's if, if we believe him at all. But the grace and mercy of God is that even when we are in that place, he's beside us. He is beside us. He knows. He knows. And he allows us to say that to him. There are other times and things that we can, of course, do to help us when we're in dark times. Some of you will know Tim Keller. We did a series about Jonah. Tim Keller wrote the book that we used. Uh, and Tim Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 1921. He's now with the Lord in glory. But when he heard the news, he said this. Next one, please, Nick. It is endlessly comforting to know and to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does, and he allows that, that I cannot know, and therein is my hope and strength. Hey, we don't know why we suffer or why we have difficulties sometimes or in darkness. God does. We've got to trust that. Sometimes you've got to hang on with your fingernails. I, I've been there at times like that. Mercifully and thankfully, they're short. Uh, some of you will be in those times much, much longer. You know, there's someone quite dear to my wife and I. It's my wife's brother, Peter. Peter was 25 when he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. He's now 70. He's married. He has four children and I think 11 grandchildren. Yeah, yeah. My wife says, yeah, around that. Peter grew up in a Christian family, but, you know, when he was diagnosed, he wasn't in a place that he knew God. 
but in his illness, he came to know God. Now, even an Irishman works out that, you know, 25, 70, 45 years, 45 years of living with a disease that's gradually seen him go down and down and down and down. But he's held on. In fact, he's grown. He's grown. That kind of nudges into my next point. You can become great in difficult times. You can become great through the grace and mercy of God. What can help in difficult times? Well, first of all, knowing you're going to have difficult times. Secondly, if you can, if you can, pray. But sometimes you won't be able to pray. However, here's more good news. Next one, Nick. This is from the book of Romans. Paul knew lots of difficulties, uh, you know, hey, but, but this is what he said. You know, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. Even when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit will do it for us. Even if you don't have words, just say, help God. Look, it's not going to mean the circumstances, the difficulties disappear. You know, God in his mercy and his grace sometimes does do things like that. And I have no reason or explanation as to why. But very often he doesn't. That's the hard, cold reality of this world. But it doesn't mean he doesn't know. It doesn't mean he's not there. Because he is. And even when we can't, God and the Holy Spirit is praying for us. For us. You can read scripture. You know, this church produces this. It's been said often, but there's a pile of them outside. Uh, the Christian birthright card. Take it. You know, even if you don't open the Bible, and I hope most of you do some of the time, uh, you know, in difficult times, count your blessings. And there's an awful lot of them here. These are God's promises to you, to me. In bad times, it's good to remember. It's good to remember. And here's an easy way of doing it. It's even better if you read his word. You know, I'll never forget, and he's not here today, but I spoke to him and asked him, could I tell his story? Some of you will know it. Uh, Charlie Eddy. You know, a few years ago, his son James was in a terrible accident and was uh, possibly going to die. Uh, and... You can imagine how Charlie felt. But I remember one morning he got up here and he spoke with his son lying in hospital bed, not knowing whether he was going to live or die, and saying what helped him was just the routine of every day reading a bit of his Bible. And some days he said it was cold and there was nothing. But at other times, at other times, God touched him and said, Charlie, I'm there. I'm with you. I'm with your family. So they're not just words. They're not nice stories. They're real. They're real for people in difficulties. They really are. Ruth spoke last week, another story about David. David and Jonathan, friends. 
having a friend in difficulties, having someone you can talk to about it. Hopefully that someone will know when to shut up. I'm very bad at that, as my wife will tell you. And just listen, just listen. But sometimes that friend may be saying something to you that's from God. Have a friend. You know, even if you don't have one, Jesus is there. Talk to him. That's back to prayer again, isn't it? He's listening. He's listening. You know, difficulties can make you great, and I've talked about that. David, in this cave, chose to do what was right. He didn't take the easy option. He didn't kill his enemy. He waited on God. He chose to do what's right. And every time you hang on and you talk with God, you just keep hanging on with your nails. God's making you great. He's making us great. He is. He's making us strong. You know, in the letter of James, James in the first chapter tells Christians, you know, have joy in your afflictions. Have joy in your afflictions. Woo, wow. But that's why. God's making us strong in them. We mightn't feel it. I, I don't, often, but he is. He's refining us. Do you know one of the greatest examples of that? Next slide, please, Nick. Surprise, surprise. It's uh, Jesus. Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus was great. He always was. But, but here's something real. You know, I, hey, the vicar, others, you can argue the theology. For me, I believe Jesus had a real choice in Gethsemane. He had a real choice. I don't know what would happen if he'd said, hey, Father, I don't want to do this. Uh, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to run away. Uh, and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. But he made the right choice. Father, your will, not mine, not mine. So he did it. Make the right choice. God's will. If you pray that, your will be done. Hey, you're becoming great. You're becoming great. Next one, please, Nick. Final one, because I'm going to finish now, is that God's perspective. You know, God's perspective is not just the seven-day, or even less, sadly, in many cases, or more that we have. It's for eternity. Tim Keller, who I've talked about, tells a story of going to see uh, a woman chronically ill and saying, you must be in a lot of pain. And her answer Nothing that the resurrection won't fix. That's a wonderful perspective. That's God's perspective. That's his perspective. You know, and, and here's the good news. Even though you don't feel it, even though, hey, you might feel you're on your own and abandoned, you aren't. Because the only person who was ever truly abandoned was the person who said those words in the last slide, Nick, please. And who, on the cross, was abandoned for you and for me. He was the only person who died on a cross that God 
fool, he did turn his face away. That prayer of David, look away from me, God. Well, he did. He did for Jesus Christ. He looked away for Jesus. And he looked away so that he was on his own totally so that you and I would never, never have to be on our own ever again. That's the great, wonderful, marvelous news. He loves us so much. Jesus, totally on his own, so that we didn't have to be. Take that away, if nothing else. And that's why the person who said, your will be done, I'll drink the cup. The person who was on his own in the cross and died a humiliating and painful death for you and I, he also said this after he rose again. I am with you unto the end of the age. Remember that. That's the good news. I'm going to finish with four lines of a poem written by a man called Geoffrey Stoddard Kennedy. Very blessed man. Man close to God. Blessed in many ways. Probably for me, one of the best ways was he was born in England but always thought of himself as an Irishman. Uh, he was the fam most famous British Army chaplain in history. And in the murderous fields of Messines Ridge at the Third Battle of Ypres in 1917, he nearly lost his faith when he saw men die, drowning in mud. And he found hope in Jesus Christ on the cross. He knew he wasn't on his own, on that cross. And he wrote a poem, it's called The Hardest Part, and this is me finished. And this is what it says. The sorrows of God must be hard to bear if he really has love in his heart. And the hardest part in this world to play must surely be God's part. God bless you.